100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. Maven makes the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. The brand new B7 represents the expansion of their compact lineup and is designed to be more compact and portable than their acclaimed B3 bino. With a smaller objective lens, the binocular takes a significant leap in terms of size reduction. The B7 is available in both an 8x and 10x option, making it their most compact premium binocular yet. If you're looking for something that will fit in your pocket for deer hunting, turkey hunting, or scouting missions, but still want crystal clear optics, check out the new B7 from Maven. All their optics come with lifetime, no-fault warranty. If you run it over with your truck or your significant other chucks it at your head, they'll repair or replace it. Use code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift on any full-price optics order at mavenbuilt.com. Better Backstraps' mission is to provide the highest quality seasoning for the meat you work so hard for. They wanted to give hunters another choice besides the big box store brands full of fillers and preservatives. Born right here in Pennsylvania, Better Backstrap Seasonings will turn up the taste of your wild game. Right now, you can pick up their sampler gift box, which includes gun seasoned garlic, tall tine taco, and the original seasoning in a custom gift box. You can use the code EASTMEETSWEST for free shipping at betterbackstrap.com. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I'm joined by Rusty Johnson of United Outdoors. Rusty is from the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas and has a dedicated year-round approach to chasing mountain bucks. We discuss the importance of ditches, 
vegetation gaps, hunting all winds, taking mountain tactics to Kansas, trail cameras, deer stories from the past, and much more. It looks like I'm on a, a southern tour here with these guys. I've been finding a bunch of really cool hunters and uh, big woods, mountain hunters down in down in the southern states that are absolutely crushing it. And and thankful to some of my buddies uh, at the Southern Outdoorsmen who were willing to introduce me to some of these guys. And and actually, uh, you know, Jacob was offering it to me. He's like, "Man, I want to hear how you interview these guys with your tactics and how they." and how they cross over. Um, so it's pretty cool. So I, I've been able to talk to some of these guys and it's just wild to see the similarities in the South and some of these mountain ranges that, that we have up in Pennsylvania, New York, Ohio, West Virginia, and, and everywhere in between. So, um, but yeah, I'm excited for you guys to get to listen to this episode, but before we get into it, let's do the mountain buck Monday story of the week in this story comes from Matt Theriault out of Ohio. So Matt wrote in, I shot this mountain buck during the Ohio muzzleloader season. I made my way up to a ridge top and snuck up to a tree that would keep me from being seen by any deer that could be on the other side. While taking my backpack off, I spotted this buck bedded down on a bench below me about 150 yards to my right, but no shot. I stalked to 105 yards from him and was able to get a shot on him and he tipped over right in his bed. And uh, so this this story from Matt, uh, he had sent it in a little while ago here and you, you need to head over to East Meets West Hunt on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook and check out this deer. This is uh, an absolute giant Ohio mountain buck just mass for days tines character i mean this thing has it all and the fact that he shot it in its bed that is pretty dang cool so congratulations matt and if you have a story that you want to send him send it in via email to bow at eastmeetswesthunt.com just a short paragraph or two and some photos and love to be able to to share these stories and uh, for anybody that has sent them in in the past or different social media platforms and stuff, there's so many places to receive messages. It's, it's really difficult to keep up with. So I know when emails come in, um, I can categorize them, throw them in my mountain buck folder and uh, are able to, to make sure I don't miss anything. So looking forward to uh, getting to share some more stories there. And the only news that I have uh, this week, so uh, I should be just getting back from Utah when this when this goes live, but this Sunday, July 30th, my Montana archery elk hunt film called Riding Mountain Waves is going live. So this film was, was from 2022 season when I spent 21 days in the mountains of Montana archery hunting elk. And I really wanted to do this film differently than than any of the other films that that we've done in the past. And when I was talking to Justin Mueller, who does does all the video work and editing and does an incredible job at putting together these films, and I was like, you know, I don't want a 15 minute film. We can't do that with 21 days. I want I want for everyone to be there through the whole roller coaster of the hunt that it was. But I didn't want to have an hour and something long, just one piece film. So what I did was kind of like I do with some of these podcasts is I split them up into two. So there's two like 30 to 35 minute films. One's going to come out this Sunday. Part two will come out the following Sunday. And it's, it's really, it's really a cool one. Uh, they're 
make sure you have the volume up on your uh, on your TV because it is a very vocal hunt with a lot of animal sounds and just I don't know. I'm really excited about this this film to to get out there and for everyone to get to see it and and get to see the the fun and the the struggles and everything that comes along with public land art archery elk hunting so yeah i'm excited for that to go live it should be about i think it'll i think i have it scheduled for 7 p.m but uh subscribe to the youtube channel subscribe to the email newsletter on the website you'll be notified when that comes out and i would really appreciate it if you like it share it with your friends or leave a comment whatever it is uh all that stuff helps out a ton but anyways we will talk to you next week i hope that everyone has a great rest of your week all right, we're live. Rusty Johnson, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Bo. Good to be with you. Glad you're having, having me on. Yeah, I'm glad to get to talk to you. I, I, um, Well, I was introduced to you finally formally uh, through a mutual friend, Jacob, at the Southern Outdoorsman. Jacob and I were on the phone, and, and uh, we were just talking back and forth about people. He's like, know who I really want you to interview? He's like, Rusty Johnson. He's like, I think, he's like, I think you, you're style of hunting and the way you hunt in the Appalachian mountains, I think you guys would have a really good conversation. And I was like, yeah. And this has happened to another guest here recently, but it was like, funny you say that I've had his name written down for a while and just kind of needed, uh, you know, the, the push for the introduction to, to go through with it. So I always like to talk to someone ahead of time and get to, get to know him a little bit. And, and, uh, I've been following along with you for a little while on, on uh, social media and, and YouTube and everything, but um, yeah, I'm really really excited to get to talk to you. Yeah, I'm excited to be on here to talk yeah. to deer hunting. <laughs> Heck yeah, buddy! It's it might be hot out, it might be the summertime, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's deer hunting's on my mind. I actually just got back from um, scouting trip here a couple days where i just uh went out and just put a bunch of cameras i was actually telling you that on the phone the other day i was gonna be doing that and it was it was hot as balls out that's for sure but uh for sure the cameras out so that worked (laughs) what have you been up to oh i've been doing the same thing i've been putting some cameras out i've done one card pull and uh it's looking pretty good from the first card pull so they're really starting to get out there start forming those frames and yeah. It's, a, it's a growing season, man. Yes, it is. I know. And I, I've been mostly just putting cameras out and haven't been checking them as much. And, and uh, I'm just, I have two cell cameras out now, so I've been able to see a little bit of, of that. But typically, I don't run the cell cameras until a little bit later, try to keep down on the data plans, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Uh, and, and lithium. Are you running lithium batteries in yours? I do in the cell cams. Regular cameras, I don't. I just run okay. energizers or Rayovacs. Gotcha. I I started moving to a little bit more of back to the alkaline batteries and some of my regular cameras too because it's just man, lithiums are through it's the roof. Expensive. Oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah. expensive. Yeah, if you find if anybody has any deals they find on some energizer, uh, yeah, energizer lithiums, please let me know because I I hate paying almost three dollars a battery. It seems like I know it. Yeah, I'm constantly looking for deals on those. Yeah, they're hard to find. They're, they're hard to find though, man. 
You know what? If uh, maybe it's maybe it's a good business idea, just selling batteries to trail cam users, like having like having a hub and trying to find the the right places to yeah. be able to sell it. But so I'm giving that idea to anybody that wants to take it on and and go out and do it and make our lives easier. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, good idea. But anyways, before we get too far, Rusty, how about you give a little bit of a background on who you are, kind of where you're from, and, and uh, you know, kind of how you like to hunt? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> well, I'm 51 years old. I'm quite a bit older than you, so I'm an old guy. <laughs> <laughs> Still hanging in there, though. But uh, I grew up in southwest Arkansas uh, until 1998. Then we moved to northwest Arkansas with the family. Been here ever since. Uh as everybody knows, this is the Ozark Mountain region. And so I've got 25 years or so of experience hunting the Ozarks. So <clears throat> I've got a little bit different hunting style than most, uh, but I have been successful, as you can see in the background. I'll probably yeah. tell you a story or two, but uh, I've really enjoyed uh, hunting these mountains up here. It can be very challenging, but it can be very rewarding when you do connect with a with a really nice boat so that's kind of the short of it uh, yeah i'm i'm pretty much strictly a bow hunter uh probably in the last 20 years i've killed one buck with a muzzleloader the rest have all been archery so i'm i'm pretty much just strictly a bow hunter okay nice and and what's interesting to me is the ozarks are pretty unique as far as you know like the appalachian mountain region is you know there's obviously a lot of terrain here and a lot of terrain there, but the Ozarks have a, have a different feel to, at least from what I looked at from map scouting is there's just like a lot of different fingers and ridges and they all go in different directions. It's a lot less of these longer ridges and a lot, just a lot going on. Yeah, there is a lot going on. I mean, you have, you have your traditional ridges and stuff, but there's a lot of ditches, secondary ditches and a lot of stuff to really choose from to try to connect with one of these bucks. But it, it's it's a real diverse uh, terrain. Yeah, no, it, it's it's uh, it's it's pretty cool looking. What about like what's the vegetation like in 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 that type of the region? Uh, you primarily have white oaks, red oaks, hickory, uh, dogwoods, uh, maple, th- those type of trees. Uh, vegetation we have like huckleberries, uh, honeysuckle just in some native grasses here and there when the sun can reach the ground in these mountains. But yeah. there are some, you know, some of the forest service do, do some logging and stuff like that. And you can take advantage of stuff like that. You know, when the canopy's gone, then you have the new growth coming up. So you can take advantage of some of that. Okay. So there is logging that that was going to be there my, is, my yeah. other question. Okay. Yeah. Does that, do you find, uh, do you pay attention to that much as far as like the areas you like to look for, um, with the logging cuts? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, when, when they cut like that, almost immediately, uh, I feel like deer are attracted to it. You know, you've got the new sprouts, you know, new growth and stuff like that. And we also do a lot of, or the forest service does a lot of control burning up here too. Mm, so okay. that's, that's an interesting, uh, part of the equation too. Yeah, that that is that is interesting because they don't do a whole lot of that, at least in the places that I hunt, as far as the burning goes. But logging mm-hmm. definitely. Do they do the, are the lot? What's the logging like? Do they do a lot of like select cuts um, or just like full clear cuts? Yeah, well, they do a little bit of both. It's mostly select cuts. 
mm-hmm. and they also do a lot of TSI too. So, uh, it's I mean that it's not a lot of clear cutting up here where I'm from in Southwest Arkansas. That's just about all they did. But they also replanted it in pine trees. But up uh, here, it's mostly select cut. Okay, yeah, that's um. So it's it's funny. I had my but one of my good buddies is a forester, which is awesome to have as a as yep. a deer hunter, um, as a friend. But uh, he was telling me like Pennsylvania used to be primarily conifer trees in the past, and then a lot of the cutting and stuff that they did, and when they clear cut it back in the nineteen thirties and forties, that really changed it, and you know made it a lot more hardwoods, and you still have a lot of those conifers in the bottoms and some of the other areas, mm-hmm. but but really changed it up. But you, you're right. As far as those newer cuts, like even the tops, like they're, I've noticed like, especially in areas where, you know, the deer density is not very high, uh, where, where I'm at, but in, in some places the deer's numbers are a little bit higher. So they'll leave a lot of the tops down to almost like try to, to make it difficult for the deer to walk in there and get right. it. But it right. creates a lot of browse for them on the outside too. Absolutely. Like right when those, those tops come down. We also have a good uh, a good uh, amount of short leaf pine trees too that's scattered around, and and most of the time they're like in patches, so that creates a real nice edge a lot of times on the interior that deer like to travel. Yeah, but yeah, it makes it really. We got. I mean, it's mostly deciduous, but we also have pine trees too. Okay, gotcha, and. So what, I guess to, to start this off, what, what's your favorite time of year to hunt? Like when do you spend the most time in the woods or have the most success? Uh, I would say probably the, the last week of October and the first week of November, that last week of October is probably my favorite. And as you're in that region is the, is it kind of traditional rut times as far as the rut is, you know, first couple weeks of November? Yeah, it's, um. That last week of October is, is more of like a pre-rut, what I call a yep. pre-rut. Uh, they're kind of in the, I guess you would call uh, cruising, or they're not really seeking yet. They're just cruising around, you know, checking, you know, uh, checking scrapes and stuff like that. They're not really in a in a chasing mode yet. But when you get into the first week of November and into the second week is when you really start seeing the, you know, the chasing going on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's very similar. I, I always, it's always, uh, it's interesting when I talk to deer hunters from different regions of the country, sometimes that rut shifts a little bit and yeah. changes and, and, uh, you know, with Arkansas being somewhat South, I wasn't sure if that was pushed back a little bit or if that's just some of the, the real deep South states that no, have I mean, weird ruts. It'll, it'll fluctuate a few days year to year, but I mean, most of the time that the real chasing is going on starting the second week of November. Yeah. Okay. No, that, that, that makes sense. So you're, so you're liking, you really like that kind of pre-rut, you know, seeking phase of that timeframe. And and why is that? Uh, I I just think that, uh, you know, the, the deer are not quite in a rush, you know, they're starting to get it on their mind a little bit. And I feel like they're daylighting more. I think that's when they really start wanting to daylight more. Uh, but, you know, pressure has a lot to do with that too. But uh, I like them when they're by themselves like that. I don't know why. I just feel like I can pinpoint them and, and pin them down a little bit easier that way before they yeah. start running wild, you know, all over the place. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. And, and and two, like with the with once they get locked down with does, you don't know when right. when you're going to see them again. You may be in the woods and not have a chance for a few days while they're kind of right. laying down there with those with those does. And yeah. and 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 you know, it's it's funny because, and in my opinion too, it sounds like similar to yours. Like the the pre rut and the end of the rut time frame is your best odds of shooting a mature buck in in the big woods of the mountains i mean because it's so hard with not having you know traditional primary food sources like fields or food plots or anything to be able to go to and food kind of being scattered all over bedding being kind of scattered all over it's really difficult in that that early time but still it doesn't make it easy whatsoever once it comes to the the pre-rut and rut as much as we'd like it to be yeah, hunting these, hunting these mountains is there's nothing easy about it. <laughs> it it's hard. Yeah, but and, you, and just, like, you just have to be persistent. Yeah, and it's it's funny because it seems like there's I'll get the influx and in messages as like the rut starts kicking off and people are taking their vacation. They're going two, three, four, five days of you know not seeing a deer or not seeing many deer. It's like you know what what are you doing? It's like got to. <laughs> keep going <laughs> that's right that's right i love hunting the rut too i mean it, it's fun but but yeah that last week of october is my favorite time to be out there what so uh, during that during that time frame um before we kind of roll into a, a little bit i, I want to talk to you about some stories that are involved with it but i i do want to start off with some kind of groundwork as far as like what based off my research of you and listening to you talk and stuff before you're you're very big on terrain and terrain features and it sounded like you had learned a lot of that from your your father and kind of explained that to you so explain to the audience a little bit about terrain and kind of what that means to you well uh so in these these mountains that i hunt there's a lot of you have really uh dramatic what i call dramatic terrain features where you have like a major drainage and then you have major draws that go up to ridges and stuff like that. What I'm keying in on is secondary ditches is what I call them secondary. And it may not be, but a like a, you know, 10 or 15 foot dip, you know, that leads up there. It seems like to me that the more mature deer, especially they like to use those terrain features when they're crossing a ridge. So, it's just a minimal, just a minimal change in the terrain. It's not nothing major, not nothing drastic. It's just a minimal drop in elevation. Uh, it's hard to explain. I, I call them ditches, but it's not. Somebody might think of a ditch as being like this, but it might be more of like a U shape, and it might be yep. just faint. It might be just faint, and nobody, and, you know, somebody might walk right past it and not even really notice it's there. You have to really be looking. But the deer know they're there, and, and it gets them down in a little bit of a dip, and they like to travel those things crossing these ridges. Yeah, and you know, I'm glad I'm glad you said that because when I first listened to you talk about that, I was I was picturing some of these, and I'm sure it can be at some point, but really steep, you know, almost like straight cliff drop as far as these ditches that come up that you can find in some of this steep stuff, and then kind of where it levels off a little bit at the top. But I think that's a really good point because even people in places that aren't or that aren't hunting, you know, ridiculously steep terrain, these little these ditches are are available. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, if you could just picture a really steep ditch, 
and you're walking along the edge of it and, and there's just like a little break in the side of it where there's just a little slight like a roadside ditch going up the side of it those are the type areas that i'm looking for i do hunt some steep ground but those little subtle changes like that right there i know it's hard to picture but yeah it's hard to describe but it's just little subtle changes that i'm looking for yeah no i i think you're describing it pretty well because like they're and and it's obviously it's it's a lot easier to identify when you're looking at very steep terrain because yeah. it shows up really easily on the map. You can see it. You can turn on your slope angle shading and you can like really, you know, fine tune those those areas. But even in like relatively flat, some of the big woods that I hunt doesn't have, you know, might only have a couple hundred feet elevation change mm-hmm. in between different areas. And you can find some of those little tiny dips that are that yeah. are in there, too. And and for the the bucks like to travel yeah it's yeah it's not much of a of a change and and you're not going to see it on a map it's going to take boots on the ground to find some of these places and i feel like after years of hunting in the ozarks like that and and realizing some of these little travel routes and stuff that it's also helped me in the midwest out there just a little bit of a change it doesn't take much it's just like a magnet for those deer and they they use it yeah, because you yeah. yeah you hunt you hunt Kansas a lot too, and which is like completely different as far as looking at the terrain goes for where you're hunting in the Ozarks. Yeah, it's a lot different, but I use kind of the same philosophy on on the terrain change. Uh, you know, there's there's where we go is in northeast Kansas, and it's kind of a rolling hills, but uh, you there's also a lot of flat ground, and just any little change like a dr- little drainage or you know, anything like that makes a huge difference in these travel routes. Yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense. I mean, even thinking about it, like you, you can take the same philosophies, like when deer are bedding, you know, when deer, you you think about it typically in in the mountains, you know, the deer like to have a good visual and some cover. Sometimes it might be a little knob that they're on. Mm -hmm. You can take that to a flat swamp and it's like, they're going to find that higher ground where they can see and, and, and have the the cover available and everything there. So that's, I think it's good that you mentioned that because in these little, uh, these changes in the, uh, the feature, it also, the vegetation changes with it. And sometimes there might be different kinds of trees in that also. I mean, everything changes, not not just the elevation, but maybe some vegetation or whatever, you know, is growing in there that is not normally on the other part. Do you think, does, does that come from, you know, moisture as far as like maybe that being a little bit of a catch basin for, you know, I not saying maybe, it's like a swamp, but, you know, just having you know, a little bit more moisture? Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Now, now that you mentioned that, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I just just curious about, uh, you know, about how that wh- why that is because I, you know, we see it too. And again, I'm halfway across the country from you, but we see the similar types of thing in those areas. And I've actually found like even in those places, bucks will bed in some of those spots. Like the like I, I'm thinking of an example in my head right now of a, one of those ditch areas that has some blowdowns in it, and it's like. In September and early October, I can bet that I'm going to jump a buck in there if I go walking right. through it. And it's just, right. it just blowdowns are huge. Blowdowns <laughs> yeah. are huge. Yeah. <laughs> Not only does it uh, create a good spot for them to bed, it also creates a uh, like a gap, or it might close off a big area and they go around it. You know what I'm talking about? They might go yeah. around. It forces them in a certain 
it forces them to cross at a certain spot. Yeah, I, I key in on blowdowns quite a bit. Yeah, I find, no, I find it, a lot of sheds and blowdowns too. Yeah, it, do you find it, find them as far as like where they were like the sheds in their beds, like they're yeah. laying there in those yeah. blowdowns? Yeah, they like to bed in those for wind breaks yeah. and stuff like that. It's just cover, and I find a lot of sheds and blowdowns or even like big logs that's laying there. Uh, they they like to lay by those. So yeah. No, that, that makes sense. And, and, and honestly, like, I, I think you brought up a really good point when we were talking about, you know, kind of these, you know, funnels and things that are, that are move, moving deer. When you're looking at such vast landscape, like you have, like where you're hunting and where I'm hunting and where a lot of listeners are hunting, any little thing that can pin down deer movement, you got to pay attention to it. Like yeah. the, the, bl- the blowdown thing, I was just setting up cameras. I was telling you just a couple days ago and when I was in there, there was a spot and I was trying to figure out, I'm trying to target this one specific buck and I'm pretty sure there's a, t- a part of his time. He's laying in this one corner of this old clear cut that kind of comes out. And so I was, I was surrounding this thing with cameras and I was looking at it and I'm trying to think, okay, he's beat me for the last like four years. What, what is he doing <laughs> differently? Like I need to look at some more subtle changes. And there was this right. one spot that I was like, all right, there's couple blowdowns that are coming through here in this like little faint trail that came off it. There was a main trail that was like 40 or 50 yards away and this little faint trail and a couple rubs that I could see up in there that were there. I'm like, all right. So I threw a camera up and had picked out a tree as far as like, as a, as a potential spot to, to be able to hunt because there's so many different ways in and out of this spot yeah. that I'm just trying to try to find those little details that, that yep. work out. Yeah. The Spartan Forge app utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement with over 30 years of GPS collar data, trail camera data, academic, and state research. The app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery, mapping, journaling, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. The latest update is huge. One feature that I'm using a lot during the rut is LiDAR. LiDAR basically removes the trees from the landscape and allows you to see every nook and cranny, logging road, boulder, etc. With some areas having one meter data, which just means that you can see any deviation in the land as small as three feet. During the rut, I will look for logging trails that intersect with key terrain features such as ditches or draws to funnel deer movement. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. I hadn't messed around with modern muzzleloaders until last season, and when my buddy had a CVA, I was extremely jealous of the ease of use, accuracy, and ability to take some brush beating. I couldn't wait to get my hands on one for myself. CVA doesn't only build badass muzzleloaders. Their centerfire rifles are quality built and budget-friendly, built for deer camps across the country. Head over to bpioutdoors.com slash CVA to check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST10 for 10% off CVA products and accessories. Yeah. And and also kind of going back to the, the, the ditches thing there, like what... 
Okay, you're saying like the Bucks like to travel through there, but what what is attracting you to or like how how are you like setting up in relation to that ditch? Because I think that's also a, a really difficult one to be able to to answer, and maybe it's very situational, but it is it's very situational, and there's no really right answer to that question. But if I think that they're traveling through there, I would I'll just just to, Plain and simple, I'll just set within shooting distance of that little ditch. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know how else to explain it. I know that they'll want to travel through there and they're attracted to that. And I just get to where I can get a shot to that little ditch. Do you find, do you find that you have uh, trouble at all with the wind in those ditches as far as swirling going on? Yeah. Their wind is always trouble. And, uh, <laughs> So, I mean, some people might think I'm crazy, but uh, I hunt. So deer use wind to their advantage, right? So if you're using wind to your advantage, then you're totally opposite of what they're wanting to use. So to me, I roll the dice. If I if I see a tree or a spot that I think that I can kill that buck, I don't I don't even care about the wind. I'll I'll roll the dice and I'll get in there and try to kill him. Uh, and it's it's worked for me quite a bit. It has busted me several times. I ain't going to lie about it. I mean, you will get busted. But in these mountains, I mean, if you're trying to hunt wind and thermals, uh, I mean, you don't need to be reckless about it. You need to use common sense. But if if I think that buck is going to be there, I will get in there and I will hunt that deer. I don't care what the wind is. I don't care what the thermals are. Yeah. That's just no. bottom line. I, I'm, I just roll the dice a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love that, that you said it that way because, and I, I kind of knew that's the way you were going to answer it based off a conversation that we had. And, and that's kind of like what I've learned that I've learned from my dad too, is like, he's the same way. And he's like, sometimes he's like, you just, you got to be there and you, you get mm-hmm. busted, but it's, you know, to your point, it's like these, a lot of times these de- you're not laying right on top of these deer, you know, where you're sitting at right. your stand, you know, they're traveling through there. So there's also a good chance that the gusts change up and it works out. And then sometimes it doesn't. And, and uh, if you may, you, yeah. And Go if ahead. you play that, no, I was just gonna say, if you play that. So the way I, I guess the way I look at it is I try to do everything in my, in my possibility to predict what I think the wind's going to do and try right. to pick the best tree I can for that right. situation. And then just, just hunt and, and go, go for it because it, otherwise you mean you were joking about it before, but otherwise if I, every time the wind shifted, I'd have, and I had to climb down from the tree. I'd never be in a tree because I'd always be moving and <laughs> you just can't, you yeah. can't do that. Especially in these mountains. I mean, it, the wind may change, you know, 30 times within a day in these mountains, it may swirl. It may, may kick out of the North, may kick out of the South. I mean, you just never know. So the way I approach it is, you know, if I've got this buck found and I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to go in there and hunting. I'm, I'm a firm believer in spending time in the woods. And, you know, if the wind's wrong, when he comes by, it's wrong. If it's right, you got him. So, that's my philosophy is I, I, I just go and hunt. Yeah. No, I try that, to be where I think he's going to be in the daylight, regardless of the wind. 
What um, is there? Is there any parameters with like wind speed or anything that you consider as far as like worrying about hunting those places? Or are you still just kind of uh, you know throwing it to the wind per se? Yeah, I'm just. I mean, I'm I'm just pretty much throwing it to the wind. Wind speed doesn't really matter to me. And another point to remember in these mountains, there's not a per se bedding area where the wind's blowing into a bedding area. These these deer bed all over the place in these mountains. I mean, they'll they'll bed on a on a point, they'll bed on the side of a ridge. I mean, they're going to bed where the wind is in their advantage. But I mean, there's not like a bedding area. It's I mean, there are some, but most of the time hunting these mountains, there's not a designated bedding area. They bed all over the place, and I've watched them over and over and over. They may be walking, and they just may bed down right there. It's not a bedding area, but they bed there. So, yeah. you know, there's, you know, you, you hear the saying, you know, you need to get between food and the bedding. The mountains are just a little bit different. I know they are here. You know, they yeah. may be different somewhere else, but here you just, you just got to go and put the time in the stand. What about like, okay, so with these, the location of the ditches, is there anything else like bigger picture when you're looking at a map that you want to have combinations of other things to say, this is a good ditch versus this ditch over here? I do. That's a good point. Uh, so some of these ditches that I'm looking for, I'm, I'm looking for uh, like vegetation, what the vegetation is. And if I, deer love going through gaps. It may be just for example, a, a, if you got a fence going across a farm and there's a gap in it, they're going to go through that gap. They'd rather walk through a gap than jump that fence. Or if there's a gap, like if it's a barbed wire fence, if there's two or three cut wires, they'll go through that hole rather than jump it or anything like that. The same philosophy transfers over to like hunting those Ozark Mountains. There's no fences, but if I find one of these little subtle ditches that just say that's got uh, honeysuckles in it and there's a gap 20 or 30 yards wide and it's thick honeysuckles on both sides, where do you think they're going to walk? <laughs> they're going to go walk right through that gap. And I set up to where I've got a close shot to that gap. I mean, it's just like a natural funnel for them. So you're, are you going through and are you, do you map, like, do you map this stuff out as far as e-scouting ahead of time and like mark all these places and then just go check them out and then oh, yeah. kind of grade them based yeah. off of that? Yeah, I use, I use Onyx a lot. I mean, I use it on a daily basis. I'm constantly studying the map, looking for new areas. And what I'll do is I'll mark these places out and I'll make a plan to go check these, you know, put boots on the ground and go check them out and see what it actually looks like. If it looks good on the map, I'll just put a mark, and then I'll go. If it doesn't turn out good, most of the time, if it looks halfway decent, I'll put cameras up and just see what I can get on camera. And if I locate one, then that's when I start my planning and the more detailed, you know, going back and scouting more and putting a game plan together. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's a really good point, too, as far as, like, the testing the spots out as far as like with the cameras is mm -hmm. as far as you know a lot of times i'll go in and find these areas and walk them and be like this looks good but i really don't have any confirmation i'll throw a camera up there i may not even go back that entire season and just you know check it later and be like okay this is yeah this panned out kind of how i thought maybe i should spend more time here 
So there's two months out of the year that I mainly do this. And when I say I do it, I'm talking about I go every single spare minute that I have, and that's February and March. Uh, <clears throat> but that's when I do most of my serious, serious scouting is, is February and March. Of course, I'm looking for sheds. You know, I'm, I'm a big shed hunter, too. I'm looking, I'm looking for a shed, uh, a big shed, so that tells me he's there. But I'm also doing pretty much all of my – I scout during the summer, too, and but February, March is when I do my serious scouting. I gotcha. Yeah, that's, I mean, everything, you can see the sign from last year and you don't, you don't have leaves on the trees that are blocking, right. seeing some of that sign. Yeah, totally. totally. But you can sense. still identify, even, even during that time of year, you can still identify um, like different trees and you know what trees are there, even though the leaves are gone, you know what they are. Uh, even the vegetation like honeysuckle, I mean, it'll stay green here for a long time. May stay green the entire winter. And really? that's, yeah, I find a lot of sheds around honeysuckle. We have quite a bit of that around here, but, uh, yeah, that's, boy, that's the time of year to get out there and find your spots. Do, do the deer feed on honeysuckle? Like, Oh they... my, Oh okay. my. See, I don't, I don't have honeysuckle around, so I'm not familiar with it. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They love it. They love yeah. it. Oh, that's, 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 uh, that's good. And I, I thought, you know, I was like, my brain was clicking when you're saying it was staying green late. I was like, man, late season, that's probably a pretty good, uh, food oh, yeah. source for them to, to key in on. Absolutely. Do y'all have dogwoods up there? We do. We do. It's, it's very, uh, sporadic, but we do have dogwoods. So <clears throat> like right now, deer are absolutely destroying dogwoods. The, like I'm talking dogwoods, like you know, two to three feet high, yeah. new one, new ones, not full grown trees, but like the new ones coming up, they absolutely love dogwoods. Matter of fact, I've got, I've got two cameras right now. That's just, it's like a, I call it a dogwood patch, but there's a lot of them. <laughs> I've got yeah. two cameras right now just dedicated on dogwood trees. Really? Yeah. They Interesting. Love them. Yeah. That that oh, that is that is interesting. I guess like here, most of the stuff that we see as far as like that new growth browse, they like like maples are a big one. Beach oh, yeah. not as beach not as much. Uh, we have so many beech trees. I don't know if you have those uh, in in our. There's more but... beech trees in the in the Washita Mountains south of here. Okay, not so much here, but in the Washitas, there's a lot of beech trees, but but not here. Yeah, because uh, that stuff turns into a thick jungle but the deer don't i mean they'll they'll eat it deer will eat just about anything but it's not it's yeah uh, they don't it's not like a preferred browse source as like either you know oak twigs or or maple um trying to think of some others off the top of my head but it seems like i learned this i learned some of this from uh my forester buddy he was talking about he's like everyone thinks that we were just leaving the cherry trees which we you know we're and and pennsylvania is the black cherry capital of the world and they're like, they think we were leaving them because they're a valuable tree. Well, he goes, they're not really that valuable anymore, but the deer don't like them as much. So they don't browse them as much. So they tend to, them and the beach tend to take over a little yeah. bit more than some of the other tree species, which is, I was like, man, that's really valuable information. Yeah, yeah it is. For sure. <laughs> it's, it's funny when you pay attention to some of that stuff. And that's been like a goal of mine the last like three or four years, especially is instead of just looking at browse and be like, Oh, deer eating this and really trying to f- figure out what it is that they're, they're chewing on. So mm-hmm. I can, you know, identify that in other areas. Yep. 
But yeah, you you need to if you don't already uh, to the listeners, uh, if you don't already know your tree species and stuff like that, that's valuable information that you need to learn and study, and I think that'll help you out a lot. Yeah, uh, and and also another tip on that is. I use for, for the dummies like myself, I use this app called picture this. It's a free app. I could take a picture of the tree and it tells you what it is. Yeah. And so that helps. Um, because apparently when I took all those classes in high school where I had to identify all the trees in Pennsylvania and get the leaves and put them in the book and do all that, yeah. that I didn't, I didn't remember as much as I would have hoped that I did. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah, good to know uh, those trees. Yeah. Oh, it definitely, it definitely is. When I did a, I did a scouting camp for you, Rusty, the listeners have probably heard some of this, but I did a scouting camp, uh, back in April and I've done it two years in a row now. And, and one of the best, the feedback I get is my buddy, Kenny, who's a forester. I bring him as an instructor. And when we go walk in the woods, he's talking about all the different tree types and explaining it. And they're like, man, like that just opened up, you know, here's, here's me with my, like in the focus around the pre-rut and rut primarily it's like i'm looking at sign you know deer sign that's laid down and he's like you just walked past this tree i'm like oh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know <laughs> yeah 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 um but yeah that's uh that's that's super interesting but i want to i want to ask you about if you have a story in mind of a uh, you know whether it was a specific deer that you were like trying to target that you ended up, uh, shooting, kind of walking through that process, or just even, even a story of a, of a memorable hunt that you can think of that we can kind of break down as far as the scouting goes, what it looked like and how you hunted them. Yeah. I don't know if you can see it or not, but that, can you see this one? Which no, right there. Okay. Yeah. It's an eight point. It's a, it's 134 inch eight point and i believe it was 2006 when i killed him but it started about 2003 uh and it's a it's a missouri deer just across it's still ozark mountains but just across the line into missouri southwest missouri so i was up there doing some scouting um with my dad and uh it was in the summertime, and we we were on public ground, and there was some private ground there beside us, too, uh, that we could hunt on. Uh, so we jumped that deer, and it was a completely new area. We just went up there and just went to a brand-new area. And we jumped this buck, and, he, and I think it was in, I believe the first time we saw him was in August. So he was already... He was already pretty much fully framed out and he just jumped up and he stood there and my dad looked over him. He said, that that's a mature deer right there. And this was in 2003. I said, yeah, you're right. So I said, let's, let's just, you know, concentrate on this area right here and see if we can't find something, you know? And it was in August. I mean, you know how it is in August. I mean, everything is just so thick and, you know, there's not really any sign that you can for sure tell, you know, a whole lot about. So right where we jumped him, there was a big, thick huckleberry patch. And uh, it made like a, I call it an interior edge, uh, where it was just like a belt or just like a strip of huckleberries that went across this ridge. 
and the back side of this ridge i mean it was just super super steep and so we just walking around the rim of it there and i noticed this little faint just what we were talking about earlier this is a good example of it just this faint little i guess you could call it a crack or maybe this little ditch or whatever i said i bet he's coming right up that <clears throat> my dad said no there is no way that sucker is coming up that steep ground up to there i said yeah you're probably right so I, I just completely forgot about it and we kept looking in the area you know we put some game cameras out and we ended up getting a picture of him i think we got two or three pictures of him in velvet never got a hard horn picture of him he's kind of got out of my mind that hunting season i never saw him and uh <clears throat> so i ended up killing another buck um, not as mature i think he was a four and a half year old killed another buck that year so 2004 uh we did not get a velvet picture of him but i was hunting i believe it was about mid-october i saw him out of the stand same you know nice he's real he was real noticeable because his main beams i don't know if you can see but his main beams come out and they curl back in mm -hmm. so he had in really long eye guards and so he's real noticeable, but I did he didn't come within shooting range. And that was in 2004. And uh, I don't think I had another sighting or another picture. So me and my dad were talking. I said, man, I said, I, I really want that buck. I said, I think he's, he's old, old deer. I said, I really, really want him. And he said, well, you're going to have to think of something different. You've got to do something different, you know. And so the next year, I really started getting serious about wanting to focus in on that particular buck. <clears throat> so I put more cameras out. We got more pictures of him. I got a really nice picture of him uh, in velvet again that year. And uh, I hunted him. This was in this is in 2005 now. So this will <laughs> be the three, four. This will be the third year hunting. And he was not changing. I mean, he stayed the same size. I mean, he's a hundred mid one thirties, eight point, but, but I, I wanted him so bad. I become kind of obsessed and I was killing bucks every year, but I kind of become obsessed with this buck cause he was beating me. I just could not figure out how to kill him. <clears throat> and my dad at the end of the season, 2005, he said, he said, that's an unkillable buck. He said, that's what I call an unkillable buck. He said, he'll die of natural causes. <laughs> i said well it ain't gonna be because i'm not gonna keep trying so 2006 rolls around and i jump him again in the summer and that i mean that really really got me excited and i told my dad i said i think the season opened september 15th i told him i said i'm fixing to hunt i said i know how to kill this deer he said no you don't he said you can't kill him he was challenging Thanks, me he was challenging <laughs> yeah. me and my dad's a good hunter too. And he, you know, he was hunting away from me. He was letting me have this one area, you know? And, uh, <clears throat> so he challenged me. And, uh, so, I mean, I was going, I was going hunting every single chance I could trying to pinpoint where this buck was. I'd go in the evenings, you know, after work was not getting, I couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting very many. I mean, I'd get a picture every once in a while of this buck. Well, <clears throat> it's september 30th rolled around and i was just i, I tried to stay positive you got to stay positive you got to be persistent you know to kill some of these bucks and september 30th 
rolled around. I got up that morning real early and hot. I mean, just scorching hot. This is 2006. And uh, uh, I even thought about not even going, you know, but yeah. I don't really care about the weather. I've killed, I've killed them in hot weather, cold weather. I've, I've killed them in all different types of weather situations, but I went ahead and forced myself to go that morning. And on my way there, I was already knew where I was going to go. And on my way there, I thought back to 2003 where that Huckleberry patch was, where we jumped him years before. I said, I'm fixing to get right on the edge of that, where that Huckleberry goes, goes over that ridge and where that little crack was in that steep drop. I said, I'm going to put my back up against that steep drop. I'm going to try to catch him coming, walking the edge of that huckleberry that's what i had in my mind so i made my mind up driving to there that morning based on what i this episode is brought to you by hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology they have tons of innovative products like venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation and hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility loved by athletes like naomi osaka and erling holland Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry. Also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Based on me jumping him in 2003. So I got in that tree that morning. Nothing. I mean, it was dead. It was still. I mean, nothing was going on. Nothing was moving. Hot. I mean, I was sitting there just sweating. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just sitting there just kind of kicked back. I was in a little bitty tree about that big around. And it was just a straight drop behind me. I'm sitting there about, I'd say probably 9, 30, 10 o'clock. I hear just, I mean, the awfulest racket you ever heard, just thrashing. And I turn around and look behind me. At the bottom of this steep draw, there's a sapling down there about that big around. And it was just whipping back and forth, just back and forth. And I mean, the old heart got to racing because I could see, glimpses of the rack i knew what was going on i'm thinking my god he's right in the bottom of this steep i said there's no way he's going to come up through here and when he got done with that tree he started right up that steep (laughs) i'm like are you kidding me and i just first thing i could think of my dad was dead wrong about him coming (laughs) that steep ground so He come up, I mean, he walked straight up. You you would not believe how steep this ground was, but he walked straight up the edge of that crack. And I mean, it was steep. And he come right up and he popped out right beside where the huckleberries come across that ridge. And when he popped up on top, he was at eight yards. And by this time, I was already at full draw. Yeah. And I busted him at eight yards. That's oh, probably, yeah. <laughs> Wait, I so- mean, he had no idea I was there. Well, yeah, it gets me like, excited who's just gonna thinking be about stupid it. enough to sit here, right? He's like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I, I just couldn't, you... I could not believe he came up that steep. So how did you get into the tree that morning? Did you come up 
from the bottom of that steep draw no, or do you come over no, the ridge? No, I come over the ridge straight perpendicular to my tree. And I, I okay. try to do, whenever I'm going, uh, when I do my entries and stuff, I try to make a perpendicular, you know, a straight line to my tree. That way, if they're coming from either direction, by the time they got to my scent trail, if they did smell me, it's too late. He's yeah. already he's already in my house, so he's he's dead before he gets there. But yeah, yeah. I came across the top of that ridge and went straight to that tree. The tree was right on the edge of that steep drop. Yep. But <clears throat> okay, so you you come up from the other side yeah. and then dropped right on to that that tree. You weren't right. you weren't walking the ridge top. You came nope. up over. Okay. No, I come in perpendicular to the ridge. I gotcha. had to go up a pretty not real steep, but a pretty good angle. And then come in perpendicular to my tree. Yeah. So if he'd have walked in, if if I hadn't had a shot as soon as he popped up, if he'd have walked around, by the time he got to my trail, he would have been dead anyway. Yeah. But but yeah, that, that okay. was that was that, a that, memorable hunt right there. I mean, that's one of my favorites. And my dad, I could not wait, could not wait to tell my dad that he came exactly where he said he would not come. He's like, I can't believe that. That's <laughs> but that's, but that's that just so goes fun. to show you, you know, every deer is different, and I mean, they've all got different personalities. You never know what they're going to do. Well, it, and it's it is kind of wild because, like, one thing I've learned from hunting southern West Virginia that's super steep, and hunting down there, I watched. You can you can see in a lot of these old strip mines, you can sit there and glass like it's like you're out west. And I'm, I was watching some of these bucks, and they'd use these rock ditches to go up and down uh, and change elevation. And it's it's pretty steep and nasty. Like I've tried to walk some of these drainages to go up, mm-hmm. and it's just like I, I can't. I'm slipping and tripping all over as I'm going through it. And these deer, you know, were utilizing some of those places to go up and through and and that's 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 super interesting that that's how it worked and the other thing i'm glad you talked about the the access there and how you did that because i feel like for me and and others you know access is always like a difficult thing you know i'll find these spots on these side hills and it's like how do i get in there when you're not really sure where the deer are at night as far as to get up there you know a lot of times i like to either come from the bottom and go straight up to it or like you said go up and over because you start walking the side hills that's normally where the trails are a lot of times and you're just dragging your scent the whole way down it yeah i try not to i try to make everything like at right angles and perpendicular to where i'm going and you need to have really either a really good mapping system that you're following or a tack trail or something where you're not meandering you need to try to go in, or I think you do, try to go in perpendicular to where you're going to sit. That way you've got one straight trail right in front of you. And I don't never come in from the back. I try to come into the front from the way that I'm going to be facing. <clears throat> See what I'm saying? Uh, and if, yeah. yeah. Okay. If he circles behind you, there's not a trail for him to smell, and you can circle around. But if he's in front of you and you come in at a right angle to your tree, I mean, by the time he gets there, you should already have your shot. I mean, you should have him dead before he gets to that trail, unless he's way out there. If he's yeah. coming in close, you know, you, you've got him. But if he, he could cross it way out there, you know, but. I like, no, I like your uh, your thought process there. And the way you explained it was, I, th- I feel like, really easy to follow as far as, like, how you're, how you're coming in at those angles. Because it yep. makes, like I said, it makes a whole lot of, whole lot of sense as far as 
as far as that goes. And also too, like, I feel like if they were to cross, like even say a doe were to come through earlier that morning, they just get that little bit of the scent that you're crossing versus the entire thing is they're, they're following it across there. It's like, okay, threats there, threats gone, you know, across and went the other direction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I have that. It's funny because obviously I've never seen the spot, but I have a, you painted a good picture in my mind and I'm, I have it pictured on where you're set up at and how, how the bushes were and that line. That, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty cool spot. And, and actually, uh, I don't know if you can, it's way up over here, but the very next year in 2007, I killed another buck that was 142 out of the same tree. He did something totally different, but it was out of the exact same tree. Really? Yeah. Back to back years. Oh man, that's, that's funny. And, and, uh, uh, what was I going to say those, when you find those trees like that, that's, oh, I love when you find a good tree. That's just like, you know, you can go there multiple years Mm -hmm. and, and have, have success out of it. It's just a real good setup right where this spot is. It's a really good setup. Yeah, I well, heck, go, I, mean, I need to go back up there and get in that tree. Yeah, you're like, you're like, <laughs> I need to go check that out. Yeah, again. <laughs> I'm thinking right now. I'm thinking because I hadn't hunted that tree's not there anymore. It's dead and already fell down. But uh, I don't know why it died. But anyway, I haven't hunted. <laughs> I haven't hunted that. I've got a camera. I put a camera up not too long ago up there uh, because I didn't draw Kansas, so I'm going to try to focus in on Missouri a little bit more this year. Uh, but I did put a camera there, and I will be going back to that spot. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I want to, yeah. I'm be interested to hear how that goes. Like the, the buck I killed in 2022 is a place that, uh, I hadn't killed a buck from that tree. My dad had, but I'd killed one or I'd, I'd shot at one there in 2012. Yeah. 2012. I'd missed the biggest year of my life at like really close range, stupid range. You know, I was at that time I was, I was in college and and came back and and hunted this spot and I dealt with target panic and buck fever like you'd never seen like <laughs> everyone said I was the luckiest person in the world for having as many opportunities as I could but I could never stick a deer at that point like it was just like it was terrible but anyways I in 2022 I went back to that that spot in that same tree and ended up shooting shooting a deer in the same he was standing in the exact same spot where I missed that one 10 years oh earlier and wow. it was just it was just wild of how you know and it was it was yep. over this big scrape in this like kind of in the bottom of this hub and it was just mm-hmm. like that scrape has been there for 15 years it actually had moved to the next tree because that tree got struck by lightning and it oh, died wow. and they moved to the next tree over but it's just like one of those spots that just historically yep. is good there are spots like that i've got a few of them that i'd go back time and time again it just one of those spots you know yeah the other question i had for you is the trail camera situation in 2003 and 2004 we're using 35 millimeter yeah yeah i I think in 2003 i've actually got that i should have brought it in here with me but i've actually got it framed i printed a 10 by is a 10 by 8 like a a normal frame 10 by 8 i've actually got that trail camera printed out and framed of that book in really yeah that's all from 2003 i'm pretty sure we were still still using 35 millimeter back then. yeah because i i remember i got my first trail camera in 2004 and it was a 35 millimeter and that's what we were just talking about the other day at a family uh event i think it was over the fourth with my um 
with my dad, my uncles and stuff, they were talking about, I got this, this 35 millimeter camera and I was so excited. And I went and I put it out on a, a, I drilled or I pounded a two by four into the ground and the, and, uh, the spot and put it there and had it on this little opening. My dad's like, oh, he's never going to get anything there. But, you know, it was kind of like one of those things. That's where I wanted the camera and that's mm-hmm. what I was going to do. I was 11 years old or 12 years old, whatever. And, and, uh, <laughs> and on that, on that roll of film, whatever it was, 12 or 16 photos that you could get, <laughs> or I don't remember what it was. I had a 170 inch deer on that camera. I don't think I've ever t- told that on the podcast before. And oh, wow. my dad was like, cause at that time, you know, computers were starting to get good. Like it was starting to get better. And he's like, did you Photoshop this? I'm like, no, we took it down to CVS and had it developed. Like you were there with me. And, uh, it was, it was and at that. I mean, it, I mean, still that's a, a ridiculously big oh, year for Pennsylvania. Yeah. But at that time it was like completely unheard of because the antler restrictions were just put in place the year prior. So, I mean, if you shot a 90 inch deer at that time, you were shooting a, a yeah. nice buck, you know, and, and it, uh, it was just like mind blowing. And a guy ended up shooting it seven miles away, uh, during gun season. Oh. Um, but, uh, but it, yeah, it was just, it was just wild. But I remember the 35 millimeters and, and I don't remember if we talked about this, on the podcast either, but we were joking about like all the serious deer hunters would be sitting in the CVS parking lot, um, waiting for, they'd pay extra for the one hour photo developed and they just wait, you know, (laughs) trying to wait for your photos to come out and it'd be like, doe, 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 squirrel, doe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember those days. I remember those days, man. That's, that's something how far it's come. Yeah, how nice it is now that you know they get sent to your phone sometimes, and <laughs> yeah. and you know if you have cell service and or just like SD cards, and you know I'm putting 32 gig cards in there and video mode, and it's crystal clear, and you can yeah. see what it's there, and it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is. I felt like in those times too, it was always you'd always get the background buck. You quote it because it'd be this buck in the background that always looks bigger because he's facing away and just this yeah. mysterious background buck that you can never get a, a you know a photo of and and uh yeah that's pretty pretty funny but yeah. how did you um so w- when you were getting pictures of him how far away were the pictures from where you ended up killing that deer uh i'd say pretty much all of the pictures were within a quarter of a mile okay yeah not not too far and where you all jumped him at too yeah yep okay yep all so within he, about he a lived... quarter of a mile that was his core i that think was his core area. even though i didn't get very many pictures i mean and a lot there's a lot of misconceptions about cameras you know and i've learned over the years just because you're not getting pictures of him in that particular spot doesn't mean he's not there i feel like that buck was there the entire time and over that period of years i mean i probably didn't get i don't know maybe 30 pictures of him total so but I feel like he was there the entire time. Yeah. Oh, it, I mean, it, it, it totally makes sense. My, my cousin Mason was hunting this buck that he ended up shooting last year, and he was hunting him hard, and, and you know, everyone was asking him, like, how many pictures you get of him? He's like, only a couple. And, like, what do you mean? Like, he's like – he, he said the same thing is I really feel like these bucks are living under our noses more often than, you know, yeah. I, I know even myself included, like I'd get pictures of a buck and then not see him again and think, Oh, he was just passing through sometimes. I mean, sometimes that might be the case, but I think yeah. a lot of times they're, they're uh, living there. Cause you look at it, your camera is only facing only has a certain right. area that they're, they're getting. And who knows, maybe he saw that camera coming up to it and got kind of weirded out by it. And, and, you know, d- 
doesn't pass in front of it, you don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, the way I look at it, uh, my game trail camera stuff, if I get one picture of a really nice buck, that's all it takes for me. I love getting a lot of pictures, don't get me wrong, but it's a location device for me. If I get that one picture, I know he's there, and that's all it takes for me. Yeah, and and I and I believe I had heard this um, when you were talking to Jacob and them. But the way you guys run your cameras are you're you're doing more of like just spreading a web of them out and just trying to get pictures of you know getting a picture of a buck and like you said using his location device right. and then you go in and hunt the fine tune yeah portion of yeah. it. Yeah, I mean all we're looking at uh, we're we're not even really putting cameras in a spot that we might hunt. I mean in a like a where I would put a stand. Uh, we're putting them on like uh, existing scrapes, making mock scrapes, like on top of ridges. Uh, you know, my son, he's just got a new company and he come up with a scrape juice. It's all synthetic that we put out and it attracts them in. All we're trying to do is just get a, a picture. And they're mostly night pictures, uh, not very many day pictures, but all I want to do is locate him. I just want to get one picture of him to know he's there. And then one, if it's a buck that I want to hunt, that's, that's when I start fine tuning. Okay. And putting a plan together. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, do you move cameras like more to an area where you start to find a deer or are you still just like not just keeping uh, them in their locations? Sometimes I do. Uh, sometimes I will move cameras to where I think they might be traveling, but my, I think my son does more of that than I do, but mm. uh, to me, I just want confirmation he's there. I mean, yeah. I, I'll, I'll figure out on my own, you know, I don't really want to be real intrusive with, you know, checking cameras or, you know, putting cameras in where I think I might kill, actually kill him, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. And, and do you, do you feel like the cameras spook the deer at all? Like, do you, do you have any concern with that? Uh, I don't really have any concern with it. I mean, we run over a hundred cameras at a time and I mean, I, I see very little evidence of them spooking, especially nowadays that you don't have, you've got the infrared ones. They don't have yeah. a flash or nothing like that. I, in my opinion, I don't, I don't think it spooks them. Well, yeah, my buddy, my buddy, Johnny, um, the way his, his theory is, is like, he's like these bucks that are growing up now. He's like for the last 10 years, trail cameras have been pretty prevalent. He's like, they've grown up with them. It's just like <laughs> yeah. part of their, it's just part yeah. of their, they're uh, everywhere. Th- yeah. They're everywhere. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. all right. Yeah. Uh, there's, yeah. oh, there's another camera, you know, it's just yeah. kind of like part of the, part of the woods. And it's, that's kind of along the same lines on, you know, I hunt mostly public ground. And it's a, there's a lot of pressure on the areas that I hunt, and people are worried about, you know, ground scent, you know, entrance and exits and stuff like that. And I do, I'm not saying I don't pay attention to that stuff. I do. But as many people that are walking through these woods and, and hunting in there, I mean, you, you just got to find ways and pockets around that. I mean, they grow up smelling people all the time. So it's it's natural to them to smell a human being, because there people are just walking all over the place. So yeah. you can also use that to your advantage too, use people as an advantage on how to kill that buck. 
Oh, definitely. And, and that, 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 I think the biggest like learning lesson for that for me was like, I, I was hunting this buck and I was like trying to stay out of there until conditions were perfect. And you know, all these things and then realizing I checked my cameras and I got bird dogs running through, I've got, you know, there's other hunters in there. It's like, yeah, maybe I'm not putting pressure on them, but there's people and these deer have learned to live with, with the people and, and they live with the pressure. There, there are certain things that you can do, uh, to i mean the deer they'll get pressured and they'll get pushed into certain little pockets and stuff and a lot of the stuff that i hunt 99 percent of the hunters are not going to hunt where i hunt i probably don't even as far as deer sightings i don't see as many deer as a lot of people do but i'm really persistent and i hunt a lot and i hunt long hours and i hunt hard and eventually i'm going to catch that big buck slipping and I'll, I'll I'll catch him making a mistake. It might yeah. take it might take thirty days, but but I'll eventually I'll put the time in and I'll eventually catch him slipping up. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I, some pretty I, rough I stuff. I was just gonna ask you if 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 when you're talking about where other people wouldn't go, if it was just like overlooked spots or if it's like just difficult to access. It's both. It's both. One one of my favorite spots is right on the road, and nobody hunts it. It's one of my yeah. favorite spots. I mean, it's not, it's less than a hundred yards off of the main road and, and people walk right past it and those yep. deer know they walk right past it. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. Yep. But you know, and I, also I, I do hunt some hard to get to places too. That's little pockets that, I mean, just about nobody will do it, especially in early season when there's a lot of vegetation and briars and stuff like that. They just will not go through there. There ain't there ain't a buck big enough for them to go through there and put the work in to to go in there after them. But I yeah. will. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, and it's hard. I mean, it's hard to do that, you know, day after day. And I'm sure like, you oh. know, I, I try to, I have to like train myself with the mindset of every day when I go in, it's like, okay, this, if you do this right, this is the last time you have to do that. Whether that's going to be the case or not, probably not, but it, it's kind of like a mind trick because it sucks going through that stuff. Like it, going through briars and you're getting tore up and you're doing that and, and getting into some of these spots, but it's, yeah. it, I, I agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah. I want, I want the listeners to know that, I mean, we just like the story I just told was a success story, but there's also triple the amount of failures that go along with that. I don't want everybody to think, you know, you do exactly what I'm saying to do and you're going to kill a buck. That's not the way it is. I mean, you have a lot of failures. You have a lot of trial and error. You have to put the work in, you have to put the time in and eventually you'll get your opportunity, but it's not, is I mean, I think podcasts are great. There's a lot of good information out there. You get a lot of good tips and everything like that. But at the end of the day, you have to put the time in, you have to want it, and you have to be persistent and just be out there and hunt. That that's at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. And you need to have fun doing it. It don't it doesn't need to be a job. You need to have I absolutely have a blast trying to figure these bucks out. And you have to have fun doing it, and that keeps your mindset positive. You're having fun, but yet at the same time, you're trying to figure out these old bucks, how to kill them. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's such this it's such this uh, mixture of you know this hard grinding work that goes along with it, and then having fun and figuring it out and balancing you know all all of that when it when it comes to it. And I'm glad you brought that up because it is. 
I, I mean, I talked to hundreds of really successful deer hunters over the year through the podcast and through family and everything. And every single one of them, I think the one trait that they have in common is they spend they spend the most time that they possibly can in the woods. And it's like they're, and they're going to the final bell rings, you know, they're not giving up or getting frustrated. You know, they might get frustrated, but get a reset and kind of just keep going because it's especially like in the places like you hunt and everything Mm -hmm. else, like those deer are not easy to kill no matter how great you think your skill set is. It's just not, that's not the case. No, it is not the case. I mean, you can't expect, to go out there just a day or two you know scout one day and then go hunt you know a weekend or whatever and expect big results because anybody can get lucky and i've got lucky before but to be consistent you have to put the work in you cannot be lazy i guarantee you all those hunters you're talking about they're not lazy people they put the work in and they're persistent yeah, no, that's you're exactly right, and and it was and it was funny when I was talking to one guy, and he was talking about like the successful deer hunters that that he meets, and he's like, they all put in the time, and the other thing is they all have like one thing that they hang their hat on, like one you know, and you're talking about like those ditches and finding those. It seems like yeah. that's kind of like your thing, like that trumps yeah. other stuff. That if you find right. that, that's kind of where you're going to be setting up, and I think that's. That's and and everyone's and the, and the also the point of this is that there's not one way to to skin the cat with it nope. you know like that works for you someone could do something completely opposite and if that works for them then that works for them and that's fine absolutely <laughs> and, and that that would be in my advice to like a new hunter coming up or somebody that's not having success is go out there and 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 roll the dice do you know take some advice from some successful people. But put put all that together and find your own technique and find what works for you, and and what your own niche is. Don't don't just listen to one person. Don't just listen to me and go think you can go out and just hunt ditches like I'm saying. And you need to find your own way of doing it. And sometimes that takes a few years to figure that out. But just go out there and try different things. Don't be afraid to try different things. Don't be afraid afraid to try calling or you know hunting you know, in a thermal hub or a ditch or funnels or pinch points, don't be, try everything and you'll, you'll find what works for you eventually. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's funny because like, you know, what we were just talking about there, I've, and, and I I'd say probably my number one like tactic as far as the actual hunting thing has been calling. And I've heard you talk about before that you don't yes. really call at all. And I know yep. my buddy, my, another buddy, Clint Casper, mine, he's super successful and he's doesn't even carry a call. Like he's just totally against it. And I love calling yep. and it's just yep. like, it, it so, makes it what's fun to you. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so here I don't call that much, hardly none, but in Kansas is a whole different ball game. I call a lot in Kansas. They're they're way more responsive. The buck I killed this past season, I I called to him. I snort wheezed him. I mean, straight to my tree. Shot him at 11 yards or something like 11, 15 yards, <sighs> something like that. But calling like in the Midwest, especially in Kansas, has worked great for me. But in but in the mountains, it just doesn't. I've tried it. I've tried it, and I've tried it, and it just does not work as well. I don't know what the reason behind that is, but it just, it just doesn't. I try to ambush them here. Yeah. Well, that, that, that makes sense. And, and the, the 
so and to to caveat that like i've I've never had success rattling in the mountains here, but grunting and bleeding has been like something that's, but I've heard, I, I've never hunted there, but I've heard Kansas is like r- rattling is a really great tactic oh, yeah. to be able to it, use. It is. It is. They're real responsive. I don't know if it's just the different uh, species of deer that it is, or I really don't know the answer to that, but, but calling in Kansas really works. I mean, it really does. If you're not calling out there, you're, you're missing out. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and two, like the, the reason why I've, I've called, like I spent a lot of time calling in, in, in Pennsylvania and Ohio and not as much in West Virginia, but one of the reasons is in Pennsylvania is like the, the deer density is low and there's a decent, decent buck to doe ratio or West Virginia, where I'm at, there's actually a lot of does. So they're not as aggressive. They don't leave the sign behind that they're leaving here. It seems like, so I feel like that, at least that's my theory on why that plays into it. But also it's just like, I can only see 30 yards in most places, sometimes less than that. And it's just like, maybe there's a deer traveling just out of range that I can't see. And I just try, uh, you know, doing some grunts or something to try to catch attention. But, um, and with that, with that being said, you know, I, during, during the pre rut and rut timeframe, I call every 15 to 20 minutes and, I don't get a deer coming in every 15 to 20 minutes. I can promise <laughs> no. you that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're right. You're right. You won't. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's, that's funny. But that, that Kansas uh, story. So anybody wants to watch that, that's the one that's up on your YouTube channel, uh, United Outdoors, right? Yeah. It's been up about 10, 11 days, something like that. But yeah, go watch that. Give it a watch. Uh, boy, I had a blast. I didn't get the shot on film, but I was filming myself. And yeah. but man, let me tell you, I had my dad with me. He, he doesn't hunt much anymore because he had a back surgery and stuff, but he got, he was with me on that hunt. He was staying at camp and he got to be on the recovery and it was, it was such an awesome hunt. Yeah. It's my son put the video together and, uh, I was actually filming a Boone and Crockett like 30 minutes before I shot this one. Yeah. He was, yeah. he was locked down on a doe. I couldn't get him to come in. And they, they might have been still, I was hunting a big CRP field. They might have still been in the field. I don't know. But when this one come across, I knew he was a big mature. Yeah. And I called him right in. I couldn't couldn't let him go. But, yeah, oh, it's lo- on YouTube I love, right now. I loved watching that. You told me, it, when you told me it was up and we talked the other day, I went and I watched it, I think, that night. And I was like, man, this is <laughs> this is great. And then, and. And yeah, you didn't get the the shot on film, but uh, I think anybody that self films, I did the exact same thing last year, um, where all I had, or not the exact same thing. All I had was the deer's antlers and frame because I didn't have yeah. it angled right. And I just, it's, oh, it's, it's frustrating, but the story behind it and the whole thing came together really well. And, um, I, I think anybody would appreciate, to to watch that and check it out. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it was quite the hunt. I was extremely excited about that deer. I can't wait to get him back from the taxidermist. He's going to look pretty good. What, what, uh, what, so like, what, what are the, you, you know, you talked a little bit about like the ditches and stuff as far as the correlation, but is there anything else that correlate between, you know, hunting mountains and hunting like some of that ground, like you have in Kansas or anywhere else? Cause like there's, there's a lot of listeners that I mean, the, the podcast name is East meets West and a lot of mm-hmm. it's, you know, planning these trips, going to different places right. and just curious as far as like what you found to be similarities between the two. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm real big. I like these little ditches and stuff, but I'm real big on like gaps. And I guess the, 
my best way to describe it is like an opening in a fence. It, but it doesn't have to be. It can be an opening through vegetation. And it works really well out in Kansas. And I don't know if you remember in the video there, but there was a ditch that ran out to the middle of that CRP field. And right at the end of that ditch, there was a gap. And then there was a little patch of uh, Bodart, Osage Orange Trees. And I was in one of those, in that little patch. Yep. But there was a gap right there. And that right there was what I was hunting, mainly the ditch also, but mainly that gap. I liked it. Uh, and like, if you're, you know, I love hunting CRP fields out there. And if you find something like that in a big CRP field, like a ditch that runs out into it, that's really thick, they'll travel that edge. But if you can find a gap in that, and if there's a tree that, that you can get in, or you might even hunt him off the ground, but those little gaps like that, oh my gosh, they're dynamite, man. They, yeah, they use them. They use them. Oh uh, yeah. That, I, yeah, that, that makes sense. And again, if anybody that's, once kind of visually visualization you can see it in the in the video there um because at first it looked it was crazy once you guys panned out on the camera away and you pointed to the tree that that you were hunting in there mm-hmm. and it, it just it really gave you a good visualization because you could see your point of view and then from what it looked like from afar right yeah i don't know how big that crp field was it's it's pretty good size but i mean there's also bottoms you know down the side of it and stuff but Sometimes those bucks, and you know, I killed that buck in November. It was, gosh, I don't even remember what the date was now, November the 9th or something like that. But sometimes those bucks out there will never get out of that CRP field. They won't even get down in those drainages. They'll stay out in those CRP fields. They'll bed out there. I mean, they'll stay out there. They'll run does out there. And if you can find like an isolated tree or just any kind of structure whatsoever, those things are just like magnets to that deer. I mean, he may be out in that CRP field, but at one point or another, he's going to come by that tree or he's going to go through that gap. I mean, it's just like, I look at it as magnets. You know, it's hard to describe, but it's almost like I can use this, like if you're fishing deep water structure, you know, a bass will be attracted to that structure. That's the same. Mm -hmm. It works the same way with these deer. If you're in a big CRP field and there's a patch of trees out there, they're going to come by that patch of trees at some point. I mean, it's just like a magnet. I think it's maybe the cover aspect of it that they just like it to be close to them. But, I mean, right before I shot that buck, I don't think it's on the video, but I videoed it with my phone. There was a doe come right underneath my stand, and she was eating those Osage orange dried leaves off the ground. I mean, she was eating them one right after another. I'm like, she's eating those leaves off of a Bodart tree? But I mean, she was just eating them one right after another, those dried leaves, and you can hear her just crunching them. She was directly below me. But That's yeah, she walked right through that gap. Well, and and I guess you could probably compare those CRP fields to, again, for anybody that's familiar with clear cuts or logging cuts, like a three-year-old cut where you get like, you know, like those blackberry briars, like at least here, you get blackberry briars and thick, you know, growth mm-hmm. coming up. It's not, you know, here, say it'd be four or five foot tall, maybe even a little lower where, but it might be this giant clear cut. And sometimes those bucks, they'll never really leave there because they got they got everything right there but you find you find those little island of trees that they might leave um that you know that that they seem to be attracted to and going through so that 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 could be somewhat of a comparison 
another thing um people like hunting kansas like in the crp fields they're they're i call them plum thickets i'm not even sure if it's a plum or not but i call them plum thickets there's a guy that i know out there that's what he calls them so that's what i call (laughs) they're like it might not be but you know 20 or 30 yards wide but just like little patches of these plum thickets and they'll bed in those things i could not tell you how many deer have jumped out of those little plum thickets in that crp they love bedding in those plum thickets uh i wonder is it is it like is it kind of like a bush that like has an overhang to it um not really it's a it's like a tree and it's kind of reddish tint color to it okay i wish i had a picture i could show you but it's they're like in patches and the guy that i know out he lives out there and he calls them plum thickets i'm not even sure exactly if that's what they are or not but you see them in crp fields a lot out there interesting i yeah i guess i uh yeah i can't can't exactly visualize i was i guess i was thinking about it as almost like how uh mountain laurel or rhododendron or autumn olive bushes are in the east where you Uh, get like these bushes where they they gets a little bit of that shade cover too because i always jump deer bedded underneath those or find sheds underneath them um underneath those types of bushes but yeah oh that that makes sense no, that's that's cool, Rusty. I I appreciate you taking the time and and talking with me on the podcast here. I love I love hearing those stories and just kind of breaking them down. And I love that you yeah. pulled uh, the retro story there from from Missouri, Missouri and kind of yeah. explaining that that situation because I feel like that's something that you know again I I could visualize it. So I'm um, assuming that the listeners could visualize where that's at and or like yeah. that that type of area and be able to explain it so thank you for for breaking that down for yeah, us yeah no problem at all no problem at all don't let the it, weather deter you it was it was hot that day uh, i don't know what the temperature was but it was super super hot but yeah yeah well do, do uh, last last thing i was going to ask is do you do you get very cold weather um where you're at there like do you get snow ever or anything like that yeah uh in a normal year, we'll get two or three snows. Uh, okay. Sometimes more than others, but you can just about count on about three different snow events that we have here. And it does get fairly cold. I mean, a uh, lot, like in November, you'll get, you know, 20s, 30s. Oh, okay. For, for lows and highs in the 40s, stuff like that. Okay, so you do. Okay, it's you not do. bitter okay. cold, but I mean, like in uh, December and January, we we could get locked down in the teens and stuff like that. But uh, you know, that's late yeah. season stuff. I was gonna say, man, I, I I don't envy you guys in the the southern part of the states as far as early season. Like I I hate it when it gets you know up above seventy degrees. I know you're probably dealing with that pretty regularly. Yeah. It's just a a mess. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it gets warm, but again, you know, I, you know, to the listeners out there, don't let that deter you. There's been a lot of big bucks killed in warm weather. Just go when you can go and spend the time in the woods. Don't, don't get real, try not to get too technical, you know, hunt within reason, but you know, don't get too technical and think that you can't hunt in hot weather because you can, you can kill them in hot weather as well as cooler weather. I like it. Yeah, I, I I like it because that's that's one thing I do get questions on too. Is like, you know, I I don't get the 
time to, to like, or I can't take vacation like you can and, you know, pick the right. days. And it's like you said, hunt when you can. Yeah. And hunt when you can. I mean, if, if you've got a day off, go hunt, man. I mean, every chance you can get in the woods, it's going to be to your advantage and it's going to up your odds. So just hunt when you can. Yeah. Well, Rusty, where can people uh, find some of the other stuff that you guys do? I'd recommend them following along, but do you want to give some yeah. some shout outs? Yeah, there? so we have uh, our social media platform is United Outdoors. And we also have two other companies. Uh, my son uh, started a company called BranchBossGear.com. And he has kind of invented a, a little synthetic spray that you can spray on scrapes and stuff like that. And we use that. He, he developed it over about four or five years. I helped him uh, trial and error till he got the right formula together. But we use that to put in front of our cameras to get pictures of these bucks. And he's also got bow hangers and scent wicks and stuff like that on their T-shirts. And we also have another company called Fireside. It's firesidestore.net. And we sell T-shirts. This is one of them right here. It's got... yeah. This is the biggest buck I ever killed, a 186 from Kansas. It's on there. Oh. But, we, but he's not behind me. He's over here on another wall. But, <laughs> but that's my biggest one. But uh, so we sell T-shirts and caps and stuff like that on that website as well. Nice. I like that. I, I noticed the shirt there earlier, and uh, that's, that's sweet yeah. that you're able to pull, you know, the, the euro of the, like your buck and put yeah. it on there. I like it. My son drew that. So really? that's a, yeah. So another, all of our designs and everything, my son does every bit of that. He does all of our designs. So we're not farming that out. That's all uh, original stuff that, that my son does. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. I definitely urge everyone to check it out and I'll put some links in the, the show notes here, but oh, Rusty, thank you for taking the time and, and uh, coming on here and talking. Yeah. It was awesome, man. Love it. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.